Deuteronomy 4, page 182. Remember, Deuteronomy is really, a lot of it's just a, a big long sermon, a record of Moses speaking to the people. And here he says, Hear now, O Israel, the decrees and laws I am about to teach you. Follow them, so that you may live and go and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. Do not add to what I command you, and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I gave you. You saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal Peor. The Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal of Peor. But all of you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them, the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? Only be very careful... And watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow and then wrote them on two stone tablets. The Lord directed me at that time to teach you the decrees and laws you are to follow in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess. This is the word of God. We'll start with a pop quiz. I'm free to do what I want any old time. Name the band and the year. Anybody want to shout it out? Rolling Stones I got over here, yeah, and the Soup Dragons, brilliant, brilliant, I got both my answers, I thought it was only the Soup Dragons, 1991, the Stones were there first in 65, I'm free to do what I want any old time, two successive generations uh, expressing this sense that whatever else has gone before, uh, we have finally found a, a way to be free. We're certainly free by now, aren't we? 2017, another generation after the Soup Dragons. Free to eat what I want any old time. Mightn't be good for me, but, but the freedom's there. Free to watch what I want any old time. Netflix. 
those of you who are my age, can you, can you wind back to the younger you and imagine Netflix before you had a video recorder? All you ever had was what was on TV in the moment. If you missed it, it was gone. Free to watch what I want any old time. I wonder how good that is for us. Free to sleep with who I want, any man or woman or person who doesn't identify as one or the other, any old time. Free to be who I want and a whole new who I want tomorrow. Uh, that's the beauty of Facebook and Instagram. doesn't have to be a real me at all. It's just a me that I produce for today. In Belfast in 2017, we are living with freedoms that most people who lived on this planet before us could only have dreamt of. We're free. But have we found life? Have we found our happily ever after? This autumn, 2017, we're looking at this uh, idea of choosing life. We're looking at the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, I've already said it's uh, the greatest sermon in the Bible. Moses, the leader of God's people, standing on the edge of the promised land just before he dies, and he tells these people what's on his heart. And the verse that seems to me, anyway, to summarize this book very well, uh, I've already pointed it out to you in, in previous sermons. Chapter 30, verse 19. Now choose life, he says. Long before train spotting, Moses has got there and he said, there's, there's a way of living that's, that's actually no life in it. Uh, it's a way of living that's a, a living death. Your culture will lead you that way. Don't go that way. Choose life. He says, This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. Uh, we had an introductory sermon four weeks ago where we got a bit of an overall feel of the book. And three weeks ago in our second sermon, we looked at chapters one to three. And we looked at how Moses invited the people to choose a better future. Before he invited them to, to think about their future, he had to remind them of where they'd failed in the past. Before he could talk to them about choosing life, he had to show them how they'd been choosing death. And folks, that's often the way life with God begins. We have to see where we're going wrong before we can go right. And it's why Jesus' first words when he began to preach, the, the gospel accounts uh, record this for us. Jesus comes, he starts to preach, and he says, repent, turn around. Don't go the way you're going. Turn around, go this way with me. By the time we get to chapter 4, uh, by the way, we're going to look at chapters 4 and 5 today. So if you have those open before you, you'll follow me much better. Uh, again, page 182, 183, that sort of area. If you have those open before you, you'll get a, a better handle on what I'm saying this morning. 
Moses is now going to talk to the people about their future and, and I think he's asking the people to choose freedom. The freedom theme won't be immediately evident. In fact, it'll be quite counterintuitive at first when we look at the, the passage that we're going to read together. But let's, let's enter into the text. Chapter 4, verse 1. Moses says, Hear now, O Israel, the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God, the God of your fathers, is giving you. Throughout the remainder of chapter 4, Moses reminds the people of how God had given them his law. He spends a bit of time particularly focusing on the command not to worship idols, that is, non-gods, in place of the true and living God. And then in chapter 5, if you look at it, you'll see there that the Ten Commandments reappear. You may or may not know the Ten Commandments are previously recorded in Exodus 20, but they're here uh, for a second time. By the way, we're not going to preach the Ten Commandments today or in this sermon series. We've got a whole uh, series of teaching. We preached the Ten Commandments a few years ago. I checked. They're, they're online there if you want to go back. If you're looking for a, a series that you might find interesting to dip into, there's a, a spin-off series you could have a, a listen to over the next couple of weeks. Chapter 4, chapter 5... All of a sudden, after looking backwards with the people, showing them where they failed, Moses starts talking about the law, about God's law. And those of you who are reading ahead in Deuteronomy will know that there's a lot of stuff about the law and there's a lot of laws in this book of Deuteronomy. Actually, the English name of the book reflects this presence of the law here. It's a Greek translation of verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 18, because the Hebrew at that point in the text talks about a copy of the law. So whenever the Old Testament was translated into Greek, they translated that phrase using a Greek word, deuteronomion, deuteronomion sorry, which means a second law. A second law. It's, it's wrong. It's a misleading title. It's not a second law. It's a copy of the law. And what we have when we read Deuteronomy is a retelling of the law or, maybe better put, somebody lifting the law and preaching it. Okay? The laws are mostly all there before in the previous books of Moses, but now Moses is going to have a go at preaching them. Okay, well, let's, let's back up a little bit from what we've said here this morning. I, I wonder how that's landing with you. Christoph, you've just told us that we're in chapter 4 of a book that's 34 chapters long, and that's going to be mostly about the law. Can we, can we stop now? Can we do a different series? Is there something else uh, that we might study instead? Maybe you have a sense that this is confirming all your worst suspicions and fueling your worst fears. Christians talk about God's grace, but if you listen carefully enough and long enough, it usually boils down to legalism in the end. God likes to keep his people shackled. He likes to take away their freedom. God likes people who are good 
by his standards who obey his laws and he rejects those who don't. Dress it up whatever way you will, but Christianity is basically just legalism. It takes away our freedom. Before we do spend time these next weeks in a book which has a lot of law material in it, I want to try and tackle that question this morning. I want to spend a little bit of time thinking about how God's law actually works. What it's designed for. Because I think there's probably a good deal of misunderstanding. In chapter 4, verse 10, Moses does a really interesting thing. He, he brings the people back. He brings them back to a plain in front of a mountain, Mount Sinai, the place where God first gave his people the law. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb. This is the moment when God first gave the law. And if we're to understand the law and why it was given, how it works, then we need to take Moses' invitation and go back to Sinai. Folks, would you flick with me uh, to page 76, Exodus 19. Exodus 19, page 76. By the way, we shouldn't be surprised that the only way to make good sense of Deuteronomy is to drop back into the story occasionally. Deuteronomy is a retelling of everything that's gone before, so sometimes you just got to drop back in to the part of the story that Moses is talking about in this great sermon. If you look at the NIV heading, Exodus 19, they're helping us here. They just say, at Mount Sinai. Brilliant. We know where we are. If you look at the heading for chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. So we're at Mount Sinai, but we're not yet being given the Ten Commandments. Exodus 19 records a huge moment in the history of God's people. Moses is just about to go up, he's just about to be given the law. That, that's a well-known sort of benchmark or big moment in the Bible. But Exodus 19 is just fundamental. Before Moses goes up to receive the Ten Commandments, God speaks to him and he tells him what he should say to the people. Look at verse 3. This is what you're to say to the house of Jacob and what you're to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant... Then out of all the nations, you'll be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. <coughs> Pardon me. Have you ever heard anything more beautiful? Look at the imagery. God talks about how he rescued his people from Egypt and he says, I carried you on eagle's wings. How well do you know your hobbit and your lord of the rings? Think of those moments in those stories when the good guys get into trouble really deep trouble. The kind of trouble where you can't imagine that there's any way out 
There, there just is no way out. No imaginable way out. I'm thinking of, of the dwarfs. Do you remember the time they're in the, the pine forest and the orcs are coming after them? They're ready to burn them down out of the trees and, and ready to annihilate them. I'm thinking of that time that Gandalf gets captured and gets set on the top of Saruman's tower, Orthanc, and he's stuck up there. And you're thinking, how on earth are you going to get down from there? I'm thinking of uh, Frodo and Sam on the, the, the slopes of Mount Doom as the mountains erupting and the lava's flowing by them. I'm thinking of um, um, Aragorn and the, the small army of his outside of the Black Gate surrounded, ready to be wiped out by the, the orc armies. Each of these cases, they feel totally hopeless. There's simply no way out until, in each case, the eagles appear. The eagles appear in these epic stories when people are lost, when there's no other hope of escape, the the eagles come and rescue our heroes in their hour of need. Tolkien was a Catholic. I think he knew his Bible. And I think he knew Exodus chapter 19. And he gives wonderful life to this beautiful image. I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. 400 years of slavery. Given up all hope of ever recovering freedom. And what what does the Lord do? Sends the eagles. Carries them out. What's this got to do with the law? Well, here's the thing. Notice the timing. God rescued his people from Egypt before he gave them the law. That means he didn't rescue them because they were good, because they were keeping his rules, because they were somehow moral by his standards they couldn't have been they didn't know what the rules were the rules hadn't been given he rescued them because he chose to because in his grace he set his heart on them and he loved them and he said these people are mine all of that happened before he ever gave them the law Folks, I think in Exodus 19, we see in the most definitive way imaginable that the law doesn't save. It can't. God saved his people before he ever gave them the law. Folks, with the Lord, it's all grace. It's all his grace, his his kindness in choosing us and lifting us out from where we are. You see, folks, how this this idea, this criticism that Christianity is all legalism or this uh, awful thing that we sometimes reduce it to in the church has no foundations at all? None? God was saving his people, showing them kindness and love long before he gave them the law. So the law must mean something else. 
It's by grace we've been saved through faith. This not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. That's how the Apostle Paul would put it years later. Whatever Christianity is, it's not fundamentally about keeping God's law. That's not how we get right with God. It's about receiving a gift of grace. Well, that leaves us another question, though, doesn't it? What's the law for then? If it's not for that, if it's not the thing that makes us right with God, if it's not the thing that makes, makes God accept us, what, what, what is it for? Well, this is where our passage today, I think, can begin to help us. Chapter 4, verse 1. Let's have another look. Now, Israel, hear the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live. And go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. Why do we follow God's law? So that we may live. To obey God is to choose life. Look at the the very last verses of these two chapters we're looking at today. Chapter 5, verses 32 to 33. Chapter 5, verse 32. So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Walk in obedience to all that the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you possess. Live, prosper, prolong your days. That's what the law is about. Obeying God, says Moses to a bunch of people who have been released from slavery for generations, to this newly free people, he says, obeying God is about finding freedom. To obey God is to choose life. Folks, I, I wasn't sure about how I was reading this when I, when I first started reading it this way. I invited some of you a while ago to read Deuteronomy. Read the whole thing. It's, it's not easy to preach this verse by verse. It's better if you know the whole thing. I've been doing that a little bit. So during the summer I was reading Deuteronomy and I'm reading it again quite consistently now uh, for this sermon series. I couldn't help notice how often Moses uses the phrase, so that. He tells you to do something so that something else will happen. There, if you... Type it into the Bible software, even just in, in English, no fancy Hebrew analysis or anything like that. 60 times in the 34 chapters, he'll have a so that phrase in there, a construction. This week, I took a moment to read those 60 so that's. And I discovered that most of the times, Mo- Moses is talking about obeying God's law. So he says, Obey God's law so that... And I wonder how you'd finish that sentence. What you think is at the heart of God's law. 
Well, here's the interesting thing. In the vast majority of these sentences, these constructions, these things that we find in, in Deuteronomy, it's about finding life. Go home and read it. It's life in all sorts of different ways. Moses loves these people. He's their leader. And he says, because I want you to have life, I'm pointing you to God's laws. Live the way God calls you to live. Because therein lies life. Folks, do you believe Moses? Do you believe God who's given these words to Moses? Do you believe that living the life that God calls us to is the way to freedom and life? On a Sunday morning in a place like this, I think sometimes we think we do believe that. We think we do. Can I tell you, if, if you think you believe that, you're living almost totally at odds with our culture. You would need to recognize that. Our culture believes that the way to freedom is to run away from the living God revealed in Christian scripture and in Jesus Christ. In our passage here today, Moses has reminded the people that whenever God gave them the law, sorry, he reminds them of the time when God gave them the law. He reminds them too, and and I didn't really know much about this, chapter 5, verse 27, very quickly, we're nearly done. He reminds them about God giving them the law, but he, he reminds them too of a time when they really wanted to obey it. He's talking to them about this time when they were on the, the plane there before Mount Sinai and how they wanted him to go and approach God and to hear God's will for the people. You said to me, go near and listen to all that the Lord our God says. Then tell us whatever the Lord our God tells you. We will listen and obey. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine us showing up here and the first thing we do every Sunday collectively is we, we say out loud, Lord, tell us what it is that you want us to do and we will do it. That's, that's what's happening here. It's brilliant. It would be a great thing for us to do. Great thing to do. The people here said that they wanted to obey and God loved their response. Look at verse 28. The Lord heard when you spoke to me and the Lord said to me, I have heard what this people said to you. Everything they said was good. 
Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and to keep all my commands always so that it might go well with them and their children forever. Lord, we're going to obey your commands. And the Lord says, that would be awesome. Be lovely. Folks, there's a tension at this point in the text for, for any of us who know anything of the story of the Bible. There's a huge question. Will Israel keep God's law? Will they be able to do it? Will they retain their freedom? Well, we don't have to read on too far to find out that they can't. They don't keep the law and they don't remain free. The same people who have just been released from Egypt end up in new captivities further down the line. Moses, I think, anticipated all of this. If you look at chapter 4, verse 26, he spells out to them. He says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you this day that you'll quickly perish from the land you're crossing the Jordan to possess. You will not live there long, but will certainly be destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord your God will drive you. Even before they're going into the land, even before he knows it's, it's not going to work. Released from Egypt to become slaves in Assyria and Babylon. Folks, let me close. We started this morning recognizing that we have more freedom than most human beings who have ever gone before us could have dreamed of. I didn't take a whole lot of time to spell it out, but I don't mind telling you, I'm not sure that we've found life in those freedoms that have been offered to us. We're just like Israel. We've been offered life and freedom and we choose slavery and death. You see, we just are wired for failure on this stuff. And that's why we need God's forgiveness and why we need a saviour. Folks, we can't keep the law. None of us. And we never will be able to keep the law. So we need somebody who can keep it for us. And that's what Jesus will do. Whenever he came, very early in his teaching, Jesus said this, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I've come to do it. Don't sweat it. It's not your job to keep the law perfectly. I'll do that. You trust in me. And folks, we, we need someone who will help us to start to, to live this good life that God's calling us to live. Even those of us who, who are Christians. Even those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ for his righteousness in place of our own. We still want life, don't we? Do we not want to live life? The life that he offers to us? 
Well, then we need the Spirit of Jesus inside us. Taking this beautiful law of God and and writing it on our hearts. So it comes off the page as the rule book and becomes a, a beautiful thing to us. I'll put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts is what God promised through the prophets. Folks, I've used quite a provocative phrase um, a couple of times here in this sermon so far. And I, I want to finish by drawing your attention to it. I've asked you whether you've found your happily ever after. For those of you who don't know me, let me reassure you that I am not likely to lead us on a journey to Disneyland anytime soon. It's not really me. But I am asking you about your happily ever after. Because I do want to lead you into God's gracious and glorious intentions for you. Look at chapter 5 verse 29. What is it the Lord says? Talking about his people. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and to keep all my commands always so that it might go well with them and their children forever. Happily. Ever after. The freedom we're longing for. And it's right here with our Father God. It's been won for us by his Son, Jesus Christ. It's delivered to us by his Spirit who writes it on our hearts and teaches us to live it. Now, now choose freedom. Life with God. Let's pray. Lord, we live in a culture that tells us that the way to get free is to get as far from you as possible. God, with all his laws... all his ideas about how we should live. Lord, I pray for each one of us that you'd give us uh, the, by your spirit, prompt us, provoke us, give us the wisdom that we need to analyze life as it is in our culture, to see where our so-called freedoms are taking us, and to see more clearly than we've ever seen it before that we'll only find freedom and life in you. Lord, I pray that this season, this autumn of 2017, would be one where you woo us back to you. Amen.